Great to be with you this morning as we continue to walk through the book of Matthew. And we're in Matthew chapter 11 now. And this morning we're going to be talking about lessons from a fickle generation. Lessons from a fickle generation. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we... Come now, Lord, and just ask for help. Lord, we ask for help from you to hear and believe and trust and obey, Lord. And we just ask for, Lord, an even greater measure of your spirit, Lord, to be poured out upon us, Lord, to be the people whom you have called us to be, to heed uh, the warning, uh, Lord, uh, found in your scriptures. Lord, to believe you, Lord Jesus, that you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God, you are the Savior of the world, you are the King of the universe, you are coming back one day to judge the world, to vindicate your people, and to establish your kingdom forever. And so we look up this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 11. And just want to draw off an illustration from our passage this morning. Perhaps you have played games with children before, and uh, that can be very interesting at times. Uh, and <clears throat> perhaps you've been playing, you know, I can just imagine you got, you know, maybe your action figures or you're racing with cars or something like that. And, and, uh, and, you know, since you're a little bit, you know, you got a little bit more body strength, a little bit, you know, uh, f- higher functioning brain capacity at the present time, you know, you figure out a way to, to beat the kid at the game. But then the next thing you know, when you get an edge, when you get, when you get an edge up in the game, next thing you know, the kid says, oh, wait, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> That's not how the game works. That car can't do that. And all of a sudden, the rules of the game start changing. And then you realize that it wasn't about playing the game according to the rules. It was about winning the game. And I just want to suggest that all of us, apart from the grace of God, are like this. Apart from the grace of God at work in our lives, we, just according to our basic sinful natures, we want what we want. And at the end of the day, if that means the rules get bent to accomplish what we think is best... So be it. It's kind of scary thinking about an election, isn't it? But you know what? Jesus said that people were just like this 2,000 years ago in his day. They said they want one thing, and when you give it to them, they want something else. What lessons can we learn from this generation so we don't repeat their spiritually disastrous mistakes? That's what I'm going to talk about this morning. From Matthew chapter 11 beginning in verse 1. And if you have a Bible and you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, When Jesus had finished instructing His twelve disciples, He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, 
and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, look at him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. The word of God you may be seated. I want to talk about three things from our text this morning. Number one, firm feet. Firm feet. Number two, hearing ears. Hearing ears. And number three, wise minds. Wise minds. But first, we want to talk about firm feet. Uh, We see this in verses 1 through 6 there. Uh, If we remember chapter 10, which we just finished up, Jesus was, uh, it was Jesus' discourse to his disciples, his private discourse to his disciples, as he is ascending them out to preach the gospel and warning them of the opposition that they would face both, face both now and in the future. Their message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, repentance and faith for the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ, their message will be opposed. That is, the truth about Christ will divide the world. As we saw last time, it will even divide families. But the one who receives it will be richly rewarded. So chapter 11, then, at the end of this discourse, it, it really kind of begins a new section of, of narrative or, or, you know, or, or story that tells us some things Jesus did. And, um, and appropriately, in these following chapters, we see it kind of played out what Jesus had talked about in chapter 10. That is how there are many different responses to Jesus. Okay, the first response that we see here in chapter 11 is the response of John the Baptist. And There's some difficult things in this passage here, so we're going to work through it as best we can. We're surprised to discover at this point in Jesus' ministry that as as John is in prison, that that John had his own doubts about Jesus. And that would surprise us, given the prominence of of John, uh, given the prominence of John and and how well he is presented, even right here by Jesus himself. And and that, that he himself heard the voice from heaven when he baptized Jesus that said, This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And so we're surprised at this. And so we ask, you know, why would it be that John might have some of his own doubts concerning Jesus? And I think probably it had to do 
as it did with most people uh, during Jesus' day, with his own messianic expectations. Uh, even Jesus' disciples had the, sa- had the same kind of confusion. Now, on the one hand, he knew who Jesus was, but on, but on the other hand, it was still mysterious, right? Jesus was still, what Jesus came to do was so profound and so uh, new <laughs> that, uh, that it, it just took a while to grasp fully who Jesus was and who he came to do. And as we've talked about so often, many of the messianic expectations um, were that the Messiah would be a manifestly reigning king, an authoritative leader and ruler who would cast off Roman oppression, make Israel the greatest nation, and rather than her serving nations, the other nations would serve her. And so it's quite natural, actually, to think that John is in prison while Jesus, who is the Messiah, is ministering out there, and he's wondering, why am I in jail if the Messiah is here? If I'm a righteous person, if I'm, if, I'm a, if I'm a servant of God and the Messiah is here, who is the king of all, why am I in jail? Why, why is Herod and, 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 and other evil schemers out there uh, apparently being victorious? And uh, again, the Messiah would be what? The one who would judge the world in righteousness, reward the faithful and punish evil. And we know that Jesus will, in fact, do all of those things. But a, uh, but the the manifest uh, uh, ultimate uh, coming of all those things will happen again mysteriously at his second coming, and not at his first coming. And again, it was mysterious. And if you read the Old Testament, you know the, it, things are they're veiled, they're veiled, but they're not clear. It's not clear until the fullness of Christ has come. And so he, you know, and so Jesus, so there's still some confusing confusion there. And <clears throat> it says here that when John heard about the deeds of the Christ, he sent messengers to ask him, "Should we look for another?" And you may, it's easy to miss. Um, it's easy to miss if you're not looking carefully for it. But it's actually quite striking that it says there uh, that it says there when John heard about the deeds of the of the Christ. Now, that, now that, that's Matthew writing, okay? And so Matthew is the narrator of the story, and he refers to Jesus as the Christ. Now, uh, now he, he almost never does this. In fact, I'm not sure where, where I'll say this may be the first time they does it in the book of Matthew. But he, as the narrator, refers to Jesus as the Christ. And so we, we should ask there, because Matthew's trying to maintain like historical accuracy there. He's not trying to impose... I mean, he's not trying to impose too much of a narrator perspective on there. I mean, in one sense he is, but in another sense he isn't. He's just telling the story of Jesus and, and, and more subtly letting us come to the proper conclusion about who Jesus is. But in this case, he just comes outright and says it, Jesus, uh, the deeds of Christ, the Christ. He refers to Jesus as the Christ. The reason I think that is because he is conscious of the fact that in, in telling us that John had his doubts, he knows that the reader would be inclined to trust John, right? We're inclined to agree with John because John has been shown to be a faithful uh, uh, servant of God. And so he, he makes it clear here by, by explicitly referring to Jesus as the Christ, he wants, us to, he, wants us, he wants to be explicit to make clear that John's doubts are, are, are actually at this point incorrect. 
He's just, he's a little confused. He doesn't quite see the fullness. And so Matthew actually goes out of his way to make explicit the fact that Jesus is in fact the Christ, the Messiah, despite John's doubts. And John sends his disciples to him, and Jesus' answer is this. Go tell John what you hear and see. In other words, again, Jesus understood that his activities as the Messiah were confirmation of who he was. That he, he was, in fact, proving to them who he was. Now, and that, and, and that proving was sufficient, right? In other words, he, did, he didn't leave it unclear. His, his, his validation was sufficient. Now, we recognize that there, are many people, there were many people in Jesus' own day who didn't think that what he did was sufficient to prove to them that he was the Messiah, as evidenced by the fact that many continued in unbelief, right? Despite all the incredible things that Jesus did. And the same is true today, that many people, despite what has happened, despite the evidence in Scripture and so on, they, re- they reject Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. And yet Jesus understands that what he has done is completely sufficient. And so if we don't accept it, it's not a problem with the evidence Jesus gave us. It's a problem with our hardness of heart. And so uh, uh, Jesus there, in order to answer John's question, says, uh, says, go and tell him what you hear and what you see. And what he says as is common in Jesus, because he almost never says anything without alluding to some scripture. What he says is an allusion to Isaiah chapter 35. And we're just going to read the the, the 10 verses there that are relevant. Uh, Isaiah chapter 35. This comes at the end of the first major section in the book of Isaiah. Okay. And it it comes at the end of a section on, on, on judgment, on judgment of the nation of Israel. And so it's really talking about the restoration of Israel, which the Jews understood would take place uh, when the Messiah came, okay? And so this is what it says in Isaiah 35. It says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness. And streams in the desert, the burning, sh- the burning sand shall become a pool, the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, it shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor, e- nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And so Jesus makes a clear allusion to this passage there, talking about the um, about the uh, the lame shall uh, the deaf uh, sh- their ears shall be unstopped the lame man shall shall leap like a deer the, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and so on and then the last phrase that Jesus quotes to John 
there is he says, and the poor have, their, have good news preached to them. Now, this is an allusion to a different passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 61, 1, which says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And so that's the last, that's the last part of Jesus' statement there, is that, And the poor have good news preached to them. So why is all that significant? Well, I think it's significant because of this. John told, Jesus told John's disciples, tell him what you see and hear, okay? And so obviously they're seeing all these miracles take place and also tell, them, tell him what you hear. And he quotes, basically he alludes, he quotes to them all this scripture. Now, now John undoubtedly was well versed in the scripture. He knew it, I have no doubt, back, backwards and forwards in his mind. And so when he hears what, when he is going to hear the report of what Jesus told his disciples to go tell him, these passages, I have no doubt in my mind, these passages would just, when he hears the words, they would just, they would come in his mind. And what would John be forced to do there in prison? He'd have to start thinking through the scriptures. He'd have to start reflecting through these prophecies. And we don't know this for sure, but, you know, it's a little speculation, but I just can't help but think in my, in my heart, my mind, as John lay there, sat there in prison, a little bit confused about his expectations concerning Jesus, but then he starts to think about the scriptures. He starts to reflect on them. He starts to think about what Jesus says, and I could just see the pieces in his mind just start falling together. And even though he, might, he won't get to see it with his own two eyes, I believe that God and his grace just let the pieces fall together in John's mind. And you know what's interesting is that that last verse that Jesus alludes to, the poor have the good news preached to them. It's it's still up there on the screen. Look at that. Jesus alludes to where it says, he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And he stops. Jesus stops there about the good news to the poor. But what does the rest of that verse say? To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Where is John? He's in prison. But Jesus stops. He doesn't go there. He stops and preach good news to the poor. Why? Well, it may, we, I don't know, but it may be Jesus' subtle way of telling John, John, I'm preaching the, the good news comes first. The liberty comes later. And maybe John in prison, maybe he got it. And maybe he was comforted in saying, okay, I didn't see it then, but I see it now. The good news comes first. The liberty must come later. And there will be unspeakable liberty to those who believe in Jesus Christ. But suffering comes first. Suffering comes first. And so Jesus' answer, I believe, is gracious towards John Doubts. He points to the scripture. And, and, and so he, has to, he, he forces John to go back. And maybe relook at the scriptures in a way that he hadn't before. To see that Jesus is the Messiah, but the Messiah, the Christ, is different than what most people expected. But then Jesus concludes by saying this. He says, but blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That's, that's important. You know, in our, you know, today, in our world, since Jesus is 2,000 years gone... 
no matter, you know, everybody wants Jesus on their side. And everybody claims that Jesus is on their side. But you have to remember that during Jesus' day, you know, even people who don't believe in Jesus today, most of them will say, well, he was a, you know, he was a good guy, you know, he was a good moral teacher or something like that. But you have to remember, not a, that's just because 2,000 years have passed between then and now. But during Jesus' day, everyone wasn't like, oh, I love Jesus. Jesus was as controversial a figure as they come. And many people stumbled at him, were offended by him, because he didn't fit their expectations. And Jesus says, but blessed is the one who's not offended by me. In other words, we can't tame Jesus. We can't mold Jesus to refit him so that we can just pat him on the back. Jesus was offensive in his day, and he's still offensive today. But blessed is the one who's not offended by him. That is, who's willing to see him for who he is. Who's willing to acknowledge him. Who's, really, who's willing to submit to him and his reign and his rule in your life. God has given us one Messiah. The one, that, the one who said before Abraham was, I am. And so we must beware of worshiping a false Jesus, a Jesus recreated in our own image who just happens to agree with us on everything. But we must have, as I'm saying here, firm feet so that we don't stumble at Jesus. That's what the word means, offended by me. It literally means cause to stumble, Who's not, who doesn't stumble at Jesus. We've got to have firm feet and be willing to embrace all that he is, even in spite of our doubts, like John. So number one, firm feet. Number two, Hearing ears, hearing ears. It says, as they went away, it says, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so now when John's disciples leave... Jesus speaking to the crowd about John the Baptist. So first we had John the Baptist telling the crowds about Jesus. Now we have Jesus telling the crowds about John the Baptist. And they had flocked to John at his ministry, and Jesus asked them, what did they go out to see? Did they go out to see a reed shaken in the wind? This probably refers to a fickle person who's easily swayed by the opinions of man. Did they go out to see that? No, because John wasn't like that. He, in fact, John was in prison because he refused to back down in condemning Herod for marrying his brother's wife. People flocked to John precisely because of his courage and boldness and conviction. Did they go out to see a man in soft clothing? Well, no, because John, as we know, wore a garment of camel's hair, and camels have very rough hair. If you've ever been near a camel, I know because I had a camel spit in my face one time. <laughs> it was disgusting. Um, Okay, camels have very rough hair. 
But of course, there's, I think there's more to it than that because Jesus goes on to say, no, those who wear, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses, right? Well, the word soft there, the, words, the Greek word soft there could actually mean effeminate, okay? It's probably a jab at Herod because John was in prison on account of Herod who was what? He was a soft man. He was a weak man. He was manipulate. He was just being manipulated by his wife Herodias. Okay, so so they didn't go out to see a man like that. They went out to see a rough man, a prophet, more than a prophet. Okay, John wasn't an aristocrat. He was kind of rough around the edges, and that's what people liked about him. He told the truth. He stood for the truth. And so they went out to see that he was a prophet. And Jesus says, well, he was more than a prophet. No one greater born, uh, has arisen that was, who's been born of women. What does this mean? I think it means this. That John was appointed to have the consummate position within the Old Covenant. Within, 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 the, uh, within the line of the Old Covenant prophets. It, it, G, uh, Jesus identifies John... By quoting Malachi 3.1, which says, Behold, I send my messenger before you. Okay? And so John, Jesus identifies John as the fulfillment of, of, of Malachi 3.1, 400 years before they came onto the scene. G, John, Jesus says, John is this one, the messenger who sent before me. Prepare the way of the Lord. And we know that it's talking about Elijah because in Malachi 4.5, just a few verses later, it says, Behold, I will send you... Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And Jesus says, that's John. That's John. John is the fulfillment of Malachi, of the prophet, the prophet, the prophecy of the prophet Malachi. Yet, he says, yet one who is the least of the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, what does that mean? Well, again, I think it means this. That John was the climax of the Old Testament, right? He, in fact, he, that, that is the, that Malachi is the last prophet, the prophecy of the messenger coming, the Elijah who was to come before the great and awesome day of the Lord. That is the last prophecy of the Old Testament. And then John comes as the fulfillment of that prophecy, the last prophecy of the Old Testament. And so John stands... John stands in the line of the, the, he's the climax of the Old Testament. But at the same time, he fundamentally belonged to the Old Testament saints. So that is Jesus, that is John, did not participate with Jesus in the bringing in of the, the, the kingdom of heaven. In other words, G, John stands in line with the Old Testament prophets, not the New Testament apostles, right? The apostles participated with Jesus in his ministry and carried it forward into the, the church age, the work that Christ worked it, the, the, and, and ushered in the new age and the new covenant through their apostolic ministry in the early church, which we, which we read about in Acts and up to this very day. But that was not given to John. What was given to John is John, John stood fundamentally more with the old age than the new age. He stood at the dawning. He stood at the, the end of the old age just as dawn was breaking. To prepare the way for the Messiah to come. But yet he himself would not be able to participate in the kingdom of heaven. And so what that means, what does that mean? It means 
As I said, John labored as the light of Christ was dawning. But guess what? We walk in the full light of day of the ministry of Jesus. And so that means that those who are in the kingdom of heaven really are more privileged than even John the Baptist because we stand in an in a, in a age, in an era of redemptive history that John himself never got to see. The, the new age, the age of the resurrection of the dead, the age of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the, the age where by faith in Christ and by the, the Spirit who dwells in us, we are the, 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 new, the power of new creation and the new work of God within his people is already at work within us. And then Jesus goes on to say this. He says, and the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Now, what does that mean? I told you this was complicated. This is hard to translate, even much less to... Well, it's hard to interpret because it's hard to translate. We're not exactly sure. It could actually mean, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm leaning this way right now, that it could mean rather that the kingdom of heaven suffered violence. It could be translated, the kingdom of heaven advances violently, as in, as in forcefully. Okay? And then, and then that it is violently opposed. And I think maybe that's what Jesus means. That the kingdom of heaven is advancing. So Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven in. And, and since, and, and again, J- John stood right at, the, right at the overlap, right at the beginning, okay, to usher in the new age, but he didn't get to see it, okay? And so, uh, but, but with him inaugurating it in the new age dawning in Christ, the kingdom of heaven is now entering the world, and it is entering so forcefully, I mean, the kingdom of heaven is, is entering the world with force. That it, what does that mean? It means people are being saved. People are being converted. People are bowing the knee to the lordship of Christ because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And guess what? When you get converted, that's it. And if God wants to convert you, that's it. When the apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus, he wasn't thinking, hmm, I don't know, maybe I should believe in Jesus. That's not what he was thinking. He was thinking, I'm going to kill the Christians. Bam! I'm a Christian because I met Jesus. More, more like Jesus knocked me down and woke me up. That's what happens. The kingdom of heaven is advancing forcefully, and yet, at the same time, it's forcefully opposed. In other words, Jesus is saying what the kingdom of heaven is just always going to be like. It's going to go forward unstoppably. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You can't stop it from going forward, but that's not going to stop the devil from trying. That's the nature of the kingdom of heaven. And so John, uh, so Jesus identifies John as this Elijah, he says, who is to come. This Elijah who is to come. And you can go back and you can read Malachi and you can, and you can see that there. He says, he says, uh, who, that Elijah would come before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And again, if you, if you read through the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is a day of both judgment and of salvation. And, and so effectively what Jesus is saying by calling John Elijah, he is, the, Jesus is implicitly making a claim about himself. He is saying, I am the Lord come in judgment and in salvation. I am the Lord come in judgment and in salvation. That's why Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
You see, it's mysterious. And, and obviously Jesus would say that, and not everyone would get what he's saying. But he's saying, but, if you, but if, if, you, if you have a heart of faith, and you read the Scriptures, and you look, and you think about it, and you mull over it as Jesus is trying to get us to, you, you have ears to hear, and you have eyes to see, and you'll see it. That if, that if John was Elijah, then Jesus is the Lord come in salvation and judgment. Judgment upon those who don't believe, salvation for those who do. And so we need firm feet. Number two, we need hearing ears. And finally, we need wise minds. We need wise minds. Verse 16. What shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. When Matthew says this generation, he tends to use that phrase negatively, this generation. And um, a major theme in the Gospels really is the hard-heartedness of the Jews concerning even the coming of their own Messiah. Uh, And Jesus' parable here is striking, um, kind of like the illustration I used at the beginning of the sermon. It's, it describes this generation like children playing games in the marketplace, right? And so they're playing games, and, you know, uh, they, they, they play the flute, which is supposed to be, um, you know, the, a, a happy song. And when the kids play the flute, they want you to dance a happy dance. When the, king sang, when the kids sang a dirge, which is a mourn, mournful song, okay, they want, you, they want you to play the game of mourning, okay? In other words, we, we play the tune, and you dance to the tune, right? And Jesus said this generation, his generation is like those children in the marketplace. How? Because John came proclaiming the message in one way. John was rough around the edges. John was an ascetic, right? He... You know, he, in, in that sense, he had probably some things more in common with, with the Pharisees uh, that, that differed from Jesus in the sense that, you know, he was an ascetic. He was, he was kind of a, a harsh kind of guy. Um, some, some might have accused him of, of legalism. He was very forceful, okay? He was not one going to parties and eating and drinking, okay? He wasn't one that was hanging out, if you will, with the riffraff of society. And yet he preached the true message of God. And guess what? They didn't like him. They didn't like that. So, what did God do? I don't, just, just to prove a point, maybe. He sent Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Well, he went to parties. He ate and drank. He hung out with the tax collectors and sinners. And guess what? They didn't like that either. And what does it show? Well, it shows this. It shows this, that at the end of the day, it didn't matter how God's message was dressed up. It was, the, it was the message and the God of the message that they ultimately rejected. What's the point? The point is, is that sometimes, no matter, how, no matter how you present the message, in this form or that form, they say, well, I didn't like that about this person. Okay, well, we'll tell you about it in this way. Well, I don't like that either. Well, maybe it's not because you don't like the messenger. Maybe it's you don't like the message. And I just, think, I just think that's important. We live in a day where many people 
that the number one reason why people say they're not Christians, they're not, they're not a Christian, is because of Christians. That's what they say. And I'm not saying there's no merit to that. And I'm not saying that Christians always do the right thing all the time. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying this. In many, perhaps if not most cases, no matter what had happened to them, it may just be that it's not the... The, it's not the, the messenger that you don't like. Maybe at the root, very bottom of your heart, the reason you don't believe is because you don't like the message. Because the message says, Jesus is Lord, and I'm not. That means I don't call the shots in my life. And that's a whole different way of living and thinking and looking at the world. And many people just can't bear it because they want to do what they want to do. And so 2,000 years ago, people were the same as they are today. If you preach repentance, people say, lighten up. If you preach mercy and forgiveness, people will say, well, how can you forgive them over there who did that? And in the end, no matter what tune you sing, it doesn't please. But wisdom, Jesus says, is justified by her words. I think in the context of what Jesus is saying here, you know, wisdom is personified as it is in the Proverbs. It's kind of made it look like a person. And he's saying wisdom is justified by her deeds. I think in this case, he's probably referring to his, to his and John the Baptist's ministry, right? In other words, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't listen to John, and, they, and, and, and he was different than I am in many ways, and they're not listening to me. But wisdom, he says, is justified by her deeds. In other words, he's saying, but, but look at our ministries. Look at our lives. They show that they were truly of God. And so at the end, wisdom is justified by her deeds. And so this is in, so this is in the end how we know, right? We can, you know, we can say this, we can say that, but wisdom, that is the, the truth, a life lived in the fear of God in the end is vindicated by, by what we actually do, by what we actually live out. Will we be consistent Will we be consistent when it really counts? Will we show that we have fear of the Lord and integrity? Or when, I, well, when this thing doesn't you know, kind of fit my picture, I'll reject it over here. But when it does, I'll embrace it over here. That's not how it works. Jesus' says wisdom is justified by her deeds. And so what do we learn from this generation? We learn we, we need to have firm feet. We need to have hearing ears. And we need to have wise minds. And so as I close this morning, I'm just going to extend this invitation. Jesus proclaimed this message of repentance and faith. Just like in Jesus' day, we all have a choice to make. You know, we can say, well, I don't like this, or I don't like that. Well, at the end of the day... We won't have to give an account for what this person did. We won't have to give an account for what that person did. But guess what? Everyone's going to have to look Jesus in the eye. And he's not going to say, I'm not worried about them. I'll deal with them. And he will. He's going to deal with them. He's going to deal with that person. He's going to deal with that person. But when you stand before Jesus, he's just going to be looking at you. What did you do with me? Did you believe? Did you trust I'm not saying other people didn't, haven't done bad things or whatever, but that, at the end of the day, 
what did you do with me? They didn't make you unbelieve. They didn't make you unbelieve. You chose not to believe in me. But here's the glory of grace. And that, that, this, this is it. It's the glory of grace. Jesus came not for good people, but for sinners. To die on the cross to pay the penalty for their sin. To rise from the dead showing that the penalty of sin doesn't, doesn't, it, it doesn't hold, it doesn't, it, we're not under it anymore. Because the wages of sin is death. But if Jesus has forgiven us of our sin, the Bible says we won't ultimately die. But we'll have the hope of resurrection life in a world free from sin. All you have to do is turn from your sins and believe in Jesus, and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time, this moment, Lord, to worship you, to gather here, to reflect on your word, Lord Jesus. And I, and I pray for, for all of our hearts, Lord, individually. Lord, I pray for my heart. I pray that you would guard us, God, from being hypocrites. That you would guard us, Lord, from, uh, from being a fickle generation that just dances to whatever tune. Or, or is not happy with, 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 with any tune when it doesn't fit what we want. I pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to hear. Eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray, Lord, that we would, that we would receive your message as it truly is. That we, would, that we would mull over, perhaps like John did in prison, mull over your scriptures and realize you might not be exactly what I expected at first, but Lord, you're exactly what we needed. You're exactly what I've needed all along. And so Lord, even when I don't always understand, I trust, I believe, I obey, I will surrender to you. And I pray that there, if there's even just one listening to the sound of my voice now, that hasn't truly surrendered and trusted in you, Lord Jesus. I pray that this moment, by faith, they would believe. They would turn from sin, turn from self, and follow you, Lord. You said, Lord Jesus, whoever comes to you, doesn't matter what they've done, it doesn't matter for how long they've done it, if they will turn to you, you will by no means cast them out. I pray, Lord, that you would save a lost soul this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing now a song of decision, and this is your opportunity to respond. If the Lord is speaking to you, please respond while he's ministering to your heart. The Lord is open. The, the altar is open. If you have something that you'd like to, to pray about, uh, now's the time to do it. If you'd like to pray with me about something, I'd be glad to do that. Uh, if if you'd like to talk more about how you can follow Christ, you can catch me now. You can catch me after the service. If you're watching online, you can catch me through our website or social media. However the Lord is speaking to you, please respond.